do a few different Google searches here and there. I, uh, I'm on a computer a decent amount. And so for this week's sermon, I began to like peruse a little bit and I began to look up different types of Bibles that are out there. You've got the keto Bible. This is the special diet that's out there. Anything you need to know about this certain diet, somebody dropped a, a, a Bible on it. You got your, your folks that's saying, uh-uh, on the meat. You got the vegetarian Bible out there. The all-in-one guide to creating a satisfying dish. Then you got your, 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 your beefcakes, the one that want to work out like crazy. You got your exercise Bible. The definitive guide to total body health. You start, you're starting to see a theme here, a theme of, 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 of Bibles that are in a specific genre. And what they're claiming is that they, can, they, they know it all in that genre. So you pick a genre, there's probably a Bible in there. There's a, a jazz Bible. Crazy enough. And if you're struggling with getting some, some smiles, if you're struggling with some jokes, there's even a comedy Bible out there just for you. Get them all cracking up, you know? The, the, the term Bible today is used to mean something that's authoritative. It means it, it, it is the final say in a specific area, in a specific genre. Folks are declaring that they have the authority inside a certain field. Sometimes what the world says, though, what the world says reminds us of a gospel truth. Reminds us that the Bible that we use, the Bible that we deem as holy, is the authority, but not on genres of eating and genres of comedy, but is the authority for our entire lives. And so as we have been talking through what are the foundational components that you need in order to be a strong Christian? What are some basic fundamentals of the faith? We have to make sure that we understand the beauty of God's word, that his word is foundational to us growing as a family, us growing as individuals, and his scripture speaking to us and moving us to action. So as we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to pray for us. Lord, we are grateful that your word wants us to understand you, that your word is present so that we can live for you. And we want today your word to speak through to us. Help us to know you better as a result of you moving. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. That's where we'll be focusing today because the Bible teaches you who God is and the Bible teaches you who we are in God. Second Timothy, towards the back of the Bible, chapter three, verses 10 through 17. You can read with me in your pew Bible or up on the screen. Starting with verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, 
all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed, is breathed out by God, excuse me, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every work, for every work. Timothy is explaining to his young, uh, Paul is explaining to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy was his disciple. You might think of a disciple as like an intern, somebody that's coming up underneath you, somebody that you are investing in. And Paul takes time to say a few things to help Timothy understand scripture. He says, hey, not only did you learn some points, not only did you get some tips but you got a chance to walk with me in life. You got a chance to see the scriptures in action. You got a chance to really do life with me. You got a chance to see me teaching. You got a chance to check out my conduct. You got a chance to see how my life looks. You got a chance to see my patience, my love, my steadfastness. It's interesting that as, as Paul is setting kind of the 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 environment, as Paul is setting the groundwork for helping Timothy understand the beauty of the gospel, he sets it in this environment of some challenge, some challenge. He lists, he lists three places. He lists three, three spots that he's been to. He says, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Iconium, he got wind of some people getting ready to stone him, and just escaped in time. Lystra, he didn't escape. Some people actually beat him down in Lystra. And in Antioch, he had one of the most gut-wrenching experiences when him and one of his good friends, Peter, got to arguing on who should go on the mission trip. So kind of set in this background is is Paul saying to Timothy, hey, You and I got to do life together. You got to see how I conducted myself. The scriptures which are real, I got to live these things out and you got to see it firsthand. So now as you got to witness it firsthand, I want you to know a couple things. First, if you love God, there's going to be some dark days ahead. He lets them know from the giddy up, hey, There's going to be some times in which suffering and which struggling is going to be a part of your experience because evil is real and because you represent God. And one of the reasons why he's equipping him like this and one of the reasons why he wants him to get this is if he simply is to have a faith that's not rooted in the word, he's going to fail. If he has a faith that's not rooted in God's word and not reaching back into God's word and is not digging in God's word, he's going to fail. And so he's trying to set him up to say, okay, come on, you're my young protege. I'm going to get you ready. 
We're about to go up this hill. This hill is going to be challenging, but don't worry. We're going to be able to make it because we got God. We got God, right? You know we got God. We got God. Okay, we got God. Yes, let's get ready to do this. And it's, and it's like a pep talk that he's giving to Timothy. And a part of that pep talk is to prepare him for the challenges, but also for Timothy to display that the word was in him and was real. I, uh, I've seen this happen in my own life a little bit. My, um, I share with y'all that like my dad wasn't there when I was young. And actually, my dad wasn't there a lot. And we would call and he'd be like, yeah, I'm about to come get you, son, and not show up. And then birthday, yep, I got that present you want. I'm on the way and not come. And as I got into high school and college, I started being around friends who had families where the mom and dad didn't get along at all. I'm talking about cutting one another. And I began to gain a lot more respect for my mom and her character and the way she walked with the Lord because my mom never dogged my dad's name once. You see, she took what was in the word and lived it out, allowed us to experience it. And though she said, hey, you're gonna have to, your dad's going to have to answer for some of those actions himself, what God's calling me to is to be a, a woman of godliness. See, see, Paul was acting, he was saying, Timothy, come on, you done seen me in these tough situations. You've seen me in this drama. Let's go. I want you to see it firsthand, but I'm going to give you the reason why I'm able to live this way. Because God is the one who rescued me from this, but he's given me some beautiful holy scriptures to get us through. Continue with me in verse 14. But as for you, Timothy is saying, Paul is saying to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul saying something, something really plain here. He wants that experience of coming to understand God in a house, godly household where, where Timothy was originally brought to faith to actually take root. So Timothy, if you look back in chapter 1, his grandmother had faith, and then his mother had faith. We actually don't know anything about Timothy's father beyond that he was Greek. That was kind of a no-no back then. His mom was Jewish. Jews and Greeks did not marry. We don't know if dad was kicked out. We don't know what happened. What we do know is that Paul associates Timothy's faith with being raised in a godly household being raised with a, a parent that poured the scriptures into him, poured the scriptures into him, poured the scriptures. So now he's doing this, this combination. He's saying, when you were young, you heard the word. When you was a kid, you got the scriptures. And, and, and some of my old, older people, and I'm not going to say how old, let's just say if you got one gray hair, you might count. You remember being dragged to church, Sometimes just in the presence of a church environment, you don't know. You as a kid falling asleep on somebody's lap. It might have been Bible study. It might have been choir practice. It might have been Sunday service. You don't remember. It's all kind of fuzzy. But you remember these words about God 
seeping in, and then maybe you went off and went your own way. Maybe you went all the way on the deep end, straight up rebellious, doing your own thing, kicking it Sunday. What? I ain't down for that no more. Or maybe work just got overwhelming and the family got overwhelming and a child got sick. I don't know this, but you went away. But those kind of investments, those seeds planted actually took root and later on began to flourish and manifest and be expressed. You see, Paul is saying to Timothy, don't don't wait and go away and have to veer off. No, actually, what we're going to do is I want to remind you of the gospel that you heard as a kid and let that take root now. And it's going to take root with you continually to come back to the word. You can't live off of what grandmama and mama taught you. You can't live off of what you experienced as a child. You can't live off of that. So that's why the first thing he says to him, he says in 14, it sounds like a mama. But as for you, (laughs) you continue in what you learned. Continue in what you learned. You remember these lessons. You remember those Nursery rhymes. You remember those stories that seem so basic, but but if you apply them today, they actually reign true. Continue in what you've learned and what you firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings. Now, now, now I'm going to need you all to stay with me. Because I'm going to jump a little bit into my teaching kind of like uh, educational mind, but it applies to our daily Christian lives. Amen. It's going to be a little bit educational, but I don't want you to get lost in these words because there's words that we don't use today. So first off, what is a sacred writing? A sacred writing is divinely inspired and it's infallible. There is a third category, which is inerrancy. I didn't think I would have time to be able to get to it, but God gave me an ability to explain that. I believe in two sentences, but the two sentences because I'm a pastor are going to take four minutes. All right. So I'm going to add inerrancy up there, too. Inspired, infallible, inerrant. Inspired is defined by this man named uh, T.D. Leah who wrote a commentary on 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. He says this, and I'm going to break it down quick, but he says, verbal plenary inspiration in which the result of inspiration is that God produced in all scripture the very words he wanted, or that there's a dynamic view in which the thoughts of scripture are viewed as inspired, but the choices of words is left to the individual writer. So basically there's these two ways in which God's word Christians wrestle with God's word being inspired. It's either God said, look, I'm going to write the Bible and I'm going to use humanity and I want humanity to bring forth and put the actual pen to paper. But guess what? There is no thing that man can do to stop what I want on paper. So say you sitting there writing something and you fall asleep and then you jump down a line. that That's all in God's plan. That, that you actually might sneeze and 
write, mess up, cross something out, put something out, that, that as they were writing, that that's all in God's plan. The, the other way is said that divine inspiration is God gave you the main point, but then he allowed the uniqueness of you to help flesh that out. So meaning he allowed your culture, he allowed your environment, he allowed your understanding, he allowed your age, he allowed all those things, he allowed your creativity. Maybe you was using poetry to explain who God was. Maybe you was using prophecy to explain who God was. So all of those things, he still gives man creativity and Christians go back and forth as to which one it is. I'm personally like, I think it was both. I think it was God saying, I'm going to divinely inspire this thing. I don't care what y'all do. Y'all can't mess up my word. But I did make you beautifully and creatively unique. And I am working through each of you uniquely. So I'm going to let the flavors of you as the author actually come through on the page. I think God did both. And so we see the next verse actually says all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. Second Peter one twenty one says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's word is divinely inspired. And the question that you got to keep asking yourself is when I need answers, when I want something, when I'm trying to get some understanding, do I go to the keto Bible? Do I, do I go to the Oprah Bible? Do, brother, brother Phil? Do, because see, all other works are man created. Don't, don't, don't that sound a little silly that I'm saying the keto Bible? You're like, oh, the keto Bible. That's, but see, the, the keto Bible is a man-made created thing, just as if I write a book about how to help you. If I write a book about, if I write a book about, but if it's not divinely inspired, which is God writing and just happens to use my hands, it's not going to be truly satisfying. And so, family, we've got to first see God's word as something that is holy, as something that is beautiful, as something that he gives, that he divinely inspired. I want you to hear what Dr. Uh, Milton says about the word. He says it's a... It's the Holy Bible, a collection of 66 books composed and compiled over 2,000 years by 40 authors on three different continents. Despite the impressive diversity of the authors and the genres from history to poetry, from prophecy to personal accounts and languages, the Bible displays an irrefutable unity of purpose, an undivided harmony of thought, an unfolding narrative that is both unified and progressive. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation projects universal truth that remains applicable to people around the world. Yes, the Bible is love from Bombay to Birmingham, from London to Lisbon, to from Nepal to Nicaragua. The Holy Bible is unrivaled powerhouse by its message, has created and instituted hospitals, orphanages, unleashed liberty in human government, introduced domesticity to barbarians, and ultimately positively shaped the great spheres of human governance in the home, the church, and in the state. 
our Bible. Family, I, 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 when you look at the Bible, and the Bible just means collection of books. You've got 66 books. Sometimes you can look at it, and it can make you think that there's some, some conflicts. Some, some ain't at, it, it ain't adding up. But there's a, uh, a mental picture that I want you to have when you think of the beauty of God's word. J.D., you mind playing this video a little bit for me? I want you to see this video real quick. Oh, yeah, you can go with the music. I'm all right with that. What is you talking about? See, what this, what this looks like is an individual bird that happens to be with a cluster of birds. And what, what, fab, what, what baffles all people who deal with nature is how that many individual birds are not clashing with one another. They, we do not understand how the birds are communicating. We do not understand how the birds are moving so fluidly. What seems like it should be utter chaos in the sky is actually a unified, beautiful expression of oneness. You see, I want you to see God's word in that same way. That while you've got 66 different books, authors that are on different continents, Speaking to different issues, they all are unified and pointing towards one God who wants to love you, know you, and have you live for him for the rest of your earthly life. It's all a beautiful harmony that's working together. And sometimes the little, the little minutia or our struggles as humans in understanding the Bible lead us to discount it. That can't be what that is, and this can't be, no, God is saying, trust me. It's all in unity. And so the word is the divinely inspired. The word is also infallible. Infallible means that the Bible does not mislead you. It is sure, it is a reliable guide, according to uh, T.D. Leah. Uh, and it is fully trustworthy in all matters about which it speaks. All matters about which it speaks. The Bible is trustworthy about the things that it speaks about. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody that you knew just didn't know what they was talking about? <laughs> just don't, they don't know what they're talking about. See, it happened to me a number of different times. Like, I'll, I'll slide into a conversation, and I'm like, ooh, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> One time I, I was with Matt. Matt was talking with somebody else. Now, Matt used to play football. Like, he knows football. So they started talking about defense, like real talk, like, hey, it was a 3-4-2 on the 1-2. Now, I don't even know what that I can't even make up something. So I was coming there like, yeah, uh, tackle them. I don't know, what I'm, but I'm trying to act like I know what I'm talking about just to be in the conversation. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to see, see the Bible doesn't do that. 
The Bible doesn't claim authority on things that it is not saying it has authority over. The Bible does not say it has authority over where you're going to eat. You're not going to look in here and look for the book of Applebee's. It, it ain't in here. The Bible is not going to tell you which person you're supposed to marry by name. Ain't going to do it. Has some rules, some, some ways in which it hopes to see justice as you make decisions, all those things. But, but when you start asking questions of what does it mean to be saved, ah, the Bible says you got me. You're saying what does it mean to live a holy life? Ah, now you got me. See, infallible means that the Bible is authoritative on the topics that it's authoritative on. And you can trust and put your life on that. But on the areas that it does not cover, it is okay with saying it is not the end all answer all book for every single situation that you might come with. So the Bible is divinely inspired. It's infallible. Lastly, it is inerrant. Inerrant means that there are no mistakes in the Bible. There's no like, oops, sorry, we didn't mean to write that in there. Um, does, does somebody, somebody have a Bible with them? It, can you tell me the last page of one of our pew Bibles, the number, last numbered page? Six seventy three. All right. So if I if I announced the blue or white or the black, okay. So if I said to you. If you said, hey, pastor, how many pages are in the Bible? And I said, about 700. A am I right? See? And, and, that, and that's, that's how people approach the Bible. People approach the Bible where, well, you didn't say 673. So look at the error in the Bible. Look at the problem in the Bible. The Bible is off. Look at all these errors and things. No, 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 no. See, the Bible uses language in a variety of ways. So to say about 700 actually is true because what I'm trying to say is I'm giving you the ballpark by which the book ends. I'm not really, as, as, a, as a writer, I'm not really concerned that you get the page right. What I'm trying to let you know is it's going to be a little bit of while of reading. You see, when we come to the text, sometimes what happens is we come to the text with our own questions instead of saying, wait a minute, Ken wrote the book, Ken thought of the book, Ken dreamed of the book. Hey, Ken, what were some of the things you were thinking when you wrote this book? Now let me ask questions in that versus let me come and put some new questions on the text that the text was never trying to answer. You see, the Bible is inerrant. It does not have any mistakes in it. And these three reasons of its, of its divine inspiration, its infallibility, and its inerrancy are why we declare our scriptures as holy and why Paul is talking to Timothy and he's saying this is sacred. These are sacred texts that you have. But just to make sure I, 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 I'm, I'm explaining things correctly. So there's there's the holy text, which is written in Greek and Hebrew. Then there are different translations that have happened over the years. And to help you get the concept of translations, there are literal texts, literal translations. Then there are conceptual translations. Both of those terms are used fluidly. There's all types of different uh, one and ways that people compare, but you got literal translations 
and you have conceptual translations. So if, 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 uh, if I'm running late, the whole family is outside and all the kids in the car, mama's still in the house, and I tell one of the kids, hey, go tell your mama to hurry up. Now the little kid goes in the house, goes up the steps, sees mama putting on that last bit of lipstick and says, hurry up, mama. That's a literal translation. That is verbatim saying exactly what was said and you repeat it verbatim. Those texts tend to be your ESVs, which you have in, in the pew, or your King James Version. It's not, con- it's not asking the bigger question, which is conceptual. Conceptual would mean that the kid would go in and say, hey, mom, dad would like you to come down now. He's waiting. <laughs> is one right or wrong? No. One is conceptual, wants you to get the main point. The, the language verbatim isn't its issue. It's trying, and so our NIV is more conceptual. It wants to be in a, in a, in a language that is easy to process, but make sure you don't miss the main themes. King James is like, I don't care about no themes and all that. We're going to say it verbatim. God said it. That's what it is. And that's why you have a lot of old school people like y'all coming in here with this stuff. It don't say thou, they, if y'all acting up on us. But you see the difference. And then you have tons of Bibles in between. Now, there are some outliers that come to the text hurt in pain. And then they take the original text and read into it a whole new set of meanings. Those outliers is like down the street. They on like Van Dyke and Gratiot right now. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we don't even consider them in, in, in the discussion of pure and beautiful text. But I, I tell you that so that you understand the differences. It's not a right and wrong. It's an understanding and a learning preference. It's God's beautiful, holy word. Read with me verse 16 and 17. We're going to get up out of here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your lamp, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It gives the understanding that without God's word, we walking around like this. We're trying to feel our way. We're trying to do this life alone. And we're trying to actually do it listening to one another based on the authority. We're, we're asking for help. We're trying to seek out answers, but we're trusting one another. Other man, other God made creations. We 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 helping each other. Isn't it funny when you listen to kids give each other an answer? Why watch that show kids say the darndest things sometimes? You let a kid ask another kid a question. We, we, we had a video of one of my kids explaining how caterpillars form. I think that brother talked about lions. All types of stuff was in the answer, you know. <laughs> 
and we and we get lost even with good intentions of trying to bless one another instead of saying, what does God say? What does what does God say that would illuminate us, that would allow us to see, that would give us light unto our path? He says in verse 16, he's got teaching, reproof, correction and training. I'm giving you four ways in which I'm going to work you out, work you up, get you prepared. Teaching suggests from, uh, and this is from uh, Leah, who, who wrote that commentary. Teaching suggests that scripture is a positive source of Christian doctrine. That, that all people can learn about God. I love that because you, you, you don't have no excuse. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say that again. Nobody in here has an excuse for bad understanding of God because God gives us his word. And you can say to me, but pastor, like reading is tough. I, I struggle with under, but that, see, we, we, we don't, we don't have that excuse today because teaching comes through a variety of mediums. I got a YouTube video for you. I got a Bible app, and I'm going to put them up later, actually. Or you can, you can jump there now, J.D., and come back since we didn't. Um, I got a, uh, did, I, did I put it on there? I might not have put it on there. I think I thought about it, and I didn't send it to, yeah, that I did, yeah, I did. <laughs> you, you got the audio Bible. You can walk around and have the word read to you. We got in the back, if you're like, man, I want to read God's word, but I don't have my Bible. When you walk out that door, to the right is a table with five or six Bibles on it. I would love to see them gone because that means we need to put some more out there and we'll get y'all some more. Grab a Bible. The top one is called the Bible experience. It's like a theatrical uh, uh, expression of the Bible being told. It's like a, a, I think like a 98% black cast. Pretty much anybody you could think of is a part of it. it, it and it reads through the entire Bible. Uh, very, very good, well, very well done. Uh, yes, you're going to hear some people. You're going to be like, Samuel Jackson from, from the Avengers is, is Moses? Yep. You know what I'm saying? I'm not testifying that everybody loved Jesus. I, I'm, not into, I'm just saying it's done very well. And, and what God is saying here, though, is that, that, that all people can be taught from God's word. All people can be taught from God's word, and we have no reason not to be able to be equipped reproof or rebuke. Scripture can, can show sinners their failures, clarify the points of that mistake, and lead them to a new sense of peace and wholeness. Family, as, as much as we don't like it, we need to be corrected. We need to be challenged. We need to be rebuked when we're standing, stepping out of pocket. That should not be our first and foremost way of communicating with one another. If you're running down the street to tell me what I did wrong, I pray at some point I've heard what I've done right from you. But, but rebuke is a part of our Christian experience, and we got to be able to allow God to work through that as his word rebukes us. Correction. So a gentle reconnecting, repointing us, refocusing us back to God's doctrine. And lastly, righteous living. It's a describes a system of discipline. He, he, he says in verse 17 that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
every good work gives you the, the physical picture of a person that's been working out. That's, that's what it said. It said a, a, a person that is physically reformed as a result of physical workout. So that means you, you physically was hitting a gym with teaching. And you was hitting the gym with reproof. And you was getting some squats of correctedness in. And you was getting some training in righteousness as you was hitting those sit-ups. And all of that has refined us to be God-centered people who are reflecting the king and equipped for his purposes. But it all can be done for foolishness. We went to school with a friend who um, pursued his Ph.D. in the Bible. He went to what is many people determined like the best school in the world to go to. He went to Harvard. And while at Harvard, he came to find out that most of his classmates did not love Jesus. The highest level of learning maybe that you could get in the world, people studying the Bible and they did not love Jesus. This is why John 5, 39 through 40 can can really reign true. So you have to be careful of your motivation, of your purpose for reading God's word. It says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And this is when he was talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees who was keeping a lot of like legalistic laws and trying to perform. And it is they that bear witness about me. See, we read the scriptures to be intimate with Jesus. We read the scriptures to understand the beauty of this God who's created all things. We read the scriptures because we believe that God in explaining who he is, we find out who we are. And so we want every word to keep bearing witness to who he is. I want to leave you with a little, little bit of encouragement. I used to uh, work some long days, and it'd be like a 14-hour day, 15-hour day. And uh, the homies would be like, hey, we about to go kick it, man. Like, what's up? You coming through when you get off? And I'm like, nah. I'm going home, man. I'm getting me some rest. I'm, I'm going to sleep. Now, this, 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 this pretty young thing, and I started talking for a little bit, and uh, she wouldn't know, but I'd be working 14 or 16 hours. She'd call like, hey, you know, just want to see if you wanted to come by after work. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm coming over. You see, some, something in me was drawn to her. Now, it's my wife. I'm talking about my wife. Go ahead, let's go ahead. Make that clear. <laughs> I was something drawing me to her that 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 led me to deviate from my normal pattern of work, rest, work, rest. I had a, a hunger to be in her presence, a hunger to connect with her. And I remember when I was in college and I had, I got done pledging and, and we had all these things going on, God grabbed my heart and at 4.30 every morning you would find me up hungering for his word, getting into his word, 
digging in his word, diving in his word. Why? Because he is real and he shows the beauty of who he is in his word. Yes, he uses the Holy Spirit. Yes, he uses uh, God-centered people in your life. But he is saying, if you don't have God's word in you, at some point, evil will take over. If you don't have God's word in you, at some point, you are going to fail. Actually, let me say it like this. You setting yourself up for failure if you don't dig in God's word and you're a Christian. Because we reflect Jesus. And Satan can't do nothing with Jesus. Every time he look, he's just like. <laughs> straight mad. But what he can do. Is break God's heart by hurting us. What he can do is trip you up. Get you in a situation that's sinful that you ain't supposed to be in. What he can do is try to trick you and get you to believe some lies. What he can do is have you not walking with your God because you ain't reading your word. You see, God's word is holy. It is, it is divinely inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. And it is the place by which we find understanding of this beautiful God who said, guess what? I love you so much that I gave you an instruction manual before you was ever created. I just want you to read it. I just want you to find me in those pages. I just want you to dive deeply. Not to test me, to see if I'm going to show up, but to expect that you will meet me and grow deeper as you read. Let us pray. Lord, we want that hunger. We need that hunger. Lord, we, we confess that there are times when we are bored reading your Bible, or we want to do other things like watch TV or hang out with friends or take naps, Lord, all these things that, that, that compete against us setting aside time to read. We don't care if it's 4.30 in the morning, if it's at lunch, if it's at night. God, we want your word to be in us, and that means we have to pursue you and spend time. Give us the hunger that some of us don't have place in us a desire for your word. For those people who are present that don't believe in you, God, my prayer is that they will not simply look at our lives as Christians and say, oh, good people, nice people, whatever, but that, Lord, they would say, hmm, if this God is real, let me see what he wrote and see if it's real. I pray that they would examine the scriptures for themselves, Lord, and in doing so, even if they're coming to it with a broken heart or wanting to disprove that you exist, that you would grab their heart, Lord, and they would fall in love with you. Allow today to be the first day that somebody lives for you and takes a step for you as a result of hearing and understanding your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.